So hello, my name is Conrad Martin and welcome into the Cover Crop Innovators webinar. Today's speaker is Dan Perkins, who will be presenting cover cropping options for organic row crops. Dan is a certified crop advisor and a watershed and conservation program specialist with the Jasper County Soil and Water Conservation District. He's also an organic farmer and runs Perkins Good Earth Farm along with his wife, Julie, and their three boys. Dan has just under 20 acres of land, which is made up of 11 acres of woods, eight acres of tillable ground, a 1918 Montgomery Ward slapped together farmhouse, and an assortment of other buildings, including a dilapidated yet gorgeous red barn. So Dan, welcome to Cover Crop Innovators. We're excited to hear about your experience in cover cropping. Alrighty, thanks Conrad uh, for that introduction. And it's great to be Part of this group, I've learned a lot from um, Steve, of course, and then all the, the other members. And thanks to Steve for giving me this opportunity, opportunity to fill in for him today. Um, I know it's hard for him to give up the microphone, so um, appreciate that. Uh, I'd like to point out the picture there on the hat, uh, Cover Crop Innovator. Steve, I do wear that hat occasionally, um, so just had an opportunity there on our operation. That's my dad, actually, in the background. And some of our kids uh, planting seed seed garlic, hardneck garlic, into a eight-way cover crop mix. So, um, like Conrad said, I wear many different hats on um, in the world of agriculture. And what's kind of exciting about organic row crop agriculture is that it, it brings together the work that I do in the conventional row crop world with cover crops largely and the whole movement of soil health and regenerative ag, which of course us organic folks um, have always thought has always been our approach has really driven us. Um, and it really brings the two groups together and uh, forms a lot of common ground. Um, in my day to day day work as a, crop advisor, the folks that I work with are typically two to 3,000 acre, you know, conventional row crop guys that see the organic premiums for corn and beans and are like, hey, I'd like to take advantage of that. Um, and so I've been largely in the last four or five years working with a number of guys to transition their acres. Um, and it's all about soil health and how do we integrate cover crops um, and diversity and, you know, living roots, all that stuff. And so it's, it's pretty exciting to be part of that movement. So I'm just going to share some of the, some of the lessons learned from that, um, and, and go through some of the context. Um, we've got about 25 minutes here, so it's a lot to fit in. Um, so we'll see what happens. I also got a, I'm known as cover crop guy. Someone gave me that title eight, nine years ago. And got a YouTube channel that just documents a lot of the work I do uh, with mostly conventional guys, but doing more and more organic stuff as well. That's starting to show up there. So uh, our farm, you know, we're a small specialty crop farm producing high value, intense production, using cover crops, compost, mulches, all that stuff. And, you know, building a farm up from scratch. I don't come from a farm family, so it's it's a process. But really what I want to put on is we're innovating with different techniques and we're also farming a soil that's 
about nine, 10 inches of black sand and nothing underneath besides groundwater and sand. So nutrient cycling, keeping nitrogen, calcium, sulfur in play is really, really critical to our production system. And cover crops, of course, play a key role in that. So here's a picture of our strip-till seed garlic production um, right before planting in October. So that's a a nice cover crop mix that's all winter kill um, and really provides fertility uh, in April of the following year for my uh, organic uh, crops. So uh, practicing what I'm preaching and also learning from all the other farmers I, I work with. Okay, so organic. A lot of people think it's floofy. Um, traditionally kind of fringe, not much acreage thought of as we go back to horse and buggy type farming methods. Um, But really, the wave of organic is just on par with what we see in conventional in terms of GPS, RTK, and a lot of the innovation um, coming out of the organic world now is it brings a lot to the conventional world and, and vice versa. So that, that's pretty exciting to me to see some of that happening, you know, where r- organic row crop on thousands of acres is possible. Um, and there's, and there's lots of caveats to that as well as, you know, using, here's my picture of a walk behind tractor with a Raven GPS unit to put in my, you know, permanent beds where I'm always planting in the same spot and always walking um, that's how serious com- compaction I take. You know, walking creates compaction. Um, so there's a system we use uh, that works well for us. Okay, so the context of I want to put organic, why I see so many guys interested in transitioning and wanting to, of course, it's about the price, right? It's about demand, and everyone knows that organic in demand has just really been super, super rapid in the last four or five years. And of course, the question becomes, where are all these raw food products, commodity crops coming from? And it's imports, right? Um, I think a number of years ago, 2015, where this data is from, Turkey was supplying 70% of organic grains to the U.S. I mean, you're talking former Soviet bloc countries providing our organic grains, um, and it, and that's a fundamental problem that shouldn't be happening. Uh, it's a huge market opportunity. Um, when you look at 2016 data, 75% of organic soybeans were imported. 40% of organic corn was impo- imported into the United States. So, um, and there's just not a lot of acreage when you look across Iowa, Illinois. You're not you're talking 40 to 100,000 acres of row crop that's actually certified. Um, you know, in, in any given state. So it's not a lot, but it's certainly growing. And of course, it's the prices that are driving it. Um, and, you know, if you're thinking about transitioning, food grade is really where the money is, but the quality required and, and some of the marketing is a lot more difficult. You can't just drive to the local co-op or grain, you know, elevator and sell your crop. Um, it, things are changing somewhat, but it, it's, it's a direct marketer's price finder's game. That's for sure. Okay. So 
when we think about organic row crop and cover cropping, a lot of the same things in the conventional world apply um, in terms of just standard good agronomy with corn and bean production. Um, but the difference, I think, and as I sit down with folks talking about, you know, transitioning to organic and starting to use cover crops, it's all about weeds, weeds, and weeds. That is just the number one yield reducer problem that folks are going to face um, when dealing with that. And cover crops, of course, can play a huge, can be a huge tool in the toolbox to to fight against weeds, you know, by reducing light from reaching the soil so that the weeds never germinate. Um, allopathic responses really work well in organic because tillage is often part of termination strategy. And that tillage really releases those compounds um, that we talk about when with allopathic re response. So this it becomes not just a side note, it becomes a, a really key mechanism. Um, and also just the idea of providing habitat for predators of weed seed. So looking at the micro arthropods, uh, the collabolins and the mites, just again, in the conventional world, we want to provide habitat and food to these organisms for a more biological approach, right? Organic folks have always been thinking this way um, and really, really relying on these. And so this stuff is, is not news to the organic folks, although with new science and what we're really learning, um, we're really seeing that there, there's a lot of validity to these practices. Just how do we do them better? So we, we think about weed seed fate, fate. We think about how do we, and this particularly applies to cover crops. We don't want them to go to seed in our production systems because we don't have herbicide as an option. Um, and so, you know, thinking about the weeds that we do have and how we break those cycles, cover crops play a key role in breaking that cycle. You know, choose your weed, as I, I like to say, choose your cover crop um, instead of letting the weed choose you. Um, we, you know, we're looking at how long are these weed seeds viable in the soil? Um, some of them are really long time. So um, how we manage these become critical. And then even looking at weed seed and where they're coming from in the soil, the depth, you know, something like quack, quack grass that can germinate from four inches down, um, the type of cover crop and what we expect for weed suppression from that is going to be different if it's a quack grass invested field versus a just chickweed, say. Um, so th th that's kind of the, some of the level we have to think about these as we choose cover crops and organic row crops. Um, and even, you know, here's a Harrington seed destructor. It's something that goes on the back of a combine. And if there's any weed seed in our row crops, which ideally in a perfect organic system there isn't. But I've walked plenty of organic row crop fields. And there is a certain level of comfort that has to be achieved with the fact that there are going to be weeds out there. And the question is, are they hurting yield or are they going to go to seed? Um, and so if we get that situation at harvest, this is a tool that is seriously effective at reducing weed seed bank um, for the long run. So just kind of a cool tool that's being used, utilized by some growers out there. Um, this is a picture from Illinois, I believe. 
Okay, so the other factor is if if we're looking at weeds for cover crops and organic row crop, also nutrient release, whether it's nitrogen, calcium, sulfur, all those things, you know, of course, nitrogen being the primary one, since that's the hardest to supply organically consistently, we need to think about, you know, if we're doing mixes, if we're doing grasses, if we're doing um, legumes, when are we terminating those in relation to their growth stage and also when that cash crop is going to need it. And this is the simplest chart from Oregon State that I've been able to, you know, I always show it when I sit down with growers to really visualize the process of like, okay, if we're going to look at plant available nitrogen pan from a cover crop, which of course is the million dollar question, even in the conventional world, in the organic world, we're really dependent upon this organic form of nitrogen. What are the strategies we can do to best ensure that our corn is not going to be short on nitrogen? Obviously cereal rye killed at the boot stage is going to create a soil nitrogen deficit. Um, we've kind of, we've kind of known that, but here's just a visual way to see it. And as we think about making a mix of cover crop in a organic crop rotation, you know, having that legume flowering or as going as long as possible is really important. Um, so just kind of wanted to, to point that out. And that's some of the thinking weeds and, looking at nutrient cycling are what's driving um, our cover crop choices. And then of course, termination of cover crops, you know, we can't use a herbicide in a certified organic um, field. And so winter kill obviously becomes a key strategy there. Uh, there's mowing, chopping, rolling, undercutting with various cultivation knives, uh, tarping on a small scale or you know, ultimately plowing can be a viable opportunity. Um, and then, of course, combos of the above. And, you know, just like conventional row crop, you know, it's about risk reduction. You know, the mulber plow is the most effective way to kill a cover crop. Um, however, in the, you know, soil conservation world, we know that that has a lot of risks external risks that we want to mitigate, right? Um, and then, you know, you kind of move up from there. Chisel plowing, for instance, you know, if you're coming out of a red clover stand um, and you still want to provide clover, cover, you know, doing a one chisel pass in the fall and then before you plant doing a chisel pass, pass you, you effectively kill that clover, you provide nitrogen release, get that bio biology cranked up, but you still avoid seed corn maggot because again, in organics production, you're not going to have those seed treatments available to you. So some of these diseases that in the conventional world, we don't really see um, in the organic world are still really real considerations to factor in, um, you know, in, in winter kill seed corn maggots doesn't seem to be a problem. So that's kind of been interesting to observe. And then, you know, practices like world of crimping ahead of soybeans, you know, great technique, lots of advantages too, but it's pretty risky if it's not managed right. Um, and those, you know, in the conventional world, and I've done a fair amount of work with this, with conventional guys, world of crimping, understand this. And I'll talk a little more about that. So mowing, you know, this idea that rye, when it's flowering at 
Zodiac 61 stage, we want to be crimping this or mowing it. Um, and, and that's, you're going to get regrowth if you don't, but maybe that's okay. Um, if you're, if your tool is mowing, you don't have a roll crimper or you're because the field's weedy already mowing could be an option. So just so this information is out there in terms of um, what we're dealing with. Uh, one of the other things, get a lot of questions about, can you kill annual ryegrass with tillage? You know, if, if annual ryegrass is, is the powerhouse of cover crops, right? If it's the most rooting, best ability to break up fragile pan soils, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but we can't use herbicide, what do we do? Well, a number of farmers work with use speed disks. Um, this is a sulfur tool here pictured. And the key here is that the, this disk enables that sod-like material to flow through and to be chopped up and, and terminated. So, yes, it can be, annual ryegrass can be killed with a speed disk. Um, you know, a plow would obviously work as well, but this, this opera offers a little less less tillage um, and here's just some quick tips, you know, first pass with the sulfur speed disc. You can do the soil finisher one week later. And then, you know, if, if you get stuck in a pinch with wet spring weather, um, you can work that soil finisher um, right before planting, you know, if, if you have to. And then, you know, when you're cultivating in corn, you're watching for escapes. I mean, you're, you're, you're committed to watching that you might get some escapes. Um, so, that's that's something that works. So when we we think about organic row crop, we also have to think and cover crops. We have to think about the manures that are often being used, the compost, and cover crops. Really, those are the three main fertilizers uh, most often used. You know, amendments like chili and nitrate are used, but they're rather expensive. So if we can find other ways to do that, we're going to do that. And this is where I think the the joining of conventional and, and organics really comes together. Cause if you were to, if you were to be in a room of organic farmers and you were to ask them, how many think chemicals, fertilizer, herbicides kill earthworms in your soil? You know, everyone in the room is going to say, yes, that that's true. We want to avoid those things. Likewise, if you were in a room of no-till cover crop, conventional farmers, um, and you ask the question, how many think, tillage kills earthworms and soil biology, you'd get a lot of yeses, right? And you could argue both points, but I would argue that both are wrong in a lot of ways, right? Really, the fundamental problem is starvation of those earthworms and biology is the problem. It's that lack of carbon or that just that we're feeding them old junky carbon like just corn residue. Um, you know, not not living roots or root exudates that actually drive our biological systems. Because in organics, we are fundamentally dependent upon that organic biological nutrient release. Um, we have very little options to rescue nitrogen loss in the spring. I mean, we we just, we simply don't have a lot of options. So, as much as I am an advocate for never till cover crop systems. The reality is in organic row crop systems, there's going to be some tillage. And I've been on many organic row crop farms with very alive and healthy soil. And the key to that is that they have crop rotation 
and that, that they're minimizing that disturbance. And, and again, that's where, of course, where cover crops become a key role in that. Um, but I, I can't emphasize that enough that you can't farm conventionally with organic inputs. You can't just say, I'm going to stop putting herbicide and chemicals down and just throw and supplement them with organic inputs. It's simply, it won't be sustainable. The system will crash. And this is probably the hardest sticking point when I work with guys that want to do corn after corn or corn bean organically. It's, it's a real challenge to do that um, long-term successfully without the system crashing. So I just want to hit that home really hard. So this is one of the farmers I work with. They farm about 2000 acres conventionally, and they're going to have about, a thousand acres certified organic this coming season um so they're they're young farmers innovating and and going after it so it's pretty cool and and again cover crops really function as green manures in organic row crop because they're not just you know cover crops almost isn't the right word really um because we're just we're looking beyond just soil erosion um we're looking at the full spectrum of course here's a lumpkin tool that um, kind of similar to the speed disc that some guys use. Um, it's actually a little less effective at killing taller, high residue crops, um, but it, but it can can be worked well. Okay, so I want to put on this in the context of cover crops, this idea of rotation that this really is the foundation of organic production, and I think the conventional farmers work that work wheat back into the rotation and then have more opportunity to cover crop kind of realize that, yeah, there's a lot of truth to this and they're seeing some serious benefits from a longer rotation. Well, in the organic world, this is even more so. So idea of adding small grains, a forage crop, like two or three years of alfalfa or some sort of hay grass pasture um, just opens up your windows of opportunity for cover cropping. And it makes it really fun. Um, and just, you're really able to, to try things that you wouldn't, wouldn't typically be able to try. So frost seeding, you know, that old age frost seeding red clover into wheat, you know, what our grandparents used to do all the time for their nitrogen ahead of corn, uh, a lot of guys are coming back to that. Uh, so corn, soybean, wheat is a typical rotation we'd see um, that works well, but it's that fourth year of either a pasture or a fallow of some kind, I'll talk more specifically about that, that really make the system biologically, I guess, superior and allows tillage to happen or reduce till um, and not, not damage, you know, soil health and, and soil properly done. And of course, multiple cash crops open up, you know, when you're producing at food grade prices for, for dry beans or spring peas or, oats or the gluten-free market. I mean, that you got you have a lot of options there um, if you can find the market. And of course, that's the challenge. Uh, cover crops. So often known as green manure, you know, roller crimping. Again, a lot of what we've learned from the roller crimping aspect and that technique ahead of soybeans is from the organic folks, uh, quite honestly. They're, they're the ones innovating there. And then, you know, interseeding, which this group has talked a lot about at knee-high corn, the beauty of organic production is you don't have herbicide carryover to worry about. Now, granted, you don't have it to rescue you either. So it's a two sides of the coin. All right. 
Okay, I want to just go over some quick, broad uses. Because um, again, when you're dealing with four to six year crop rotations, I mean, your options are so endless, it's hard to pinpoint um, what works best. But there are some kind of common uses. So chickling vetches, which is also known as a grass pea, um, supposedly germinates in colder soils than pea and oats. I haven't seen by side by side, but um, the, it does work well. Um, the seed is toxic to livestock. So again, a lot of row croppers, organic row croppers have livestock, so they tend to stay away from this, but it, it can be effective. Uh, buckwheat seeded in the last row of the planter in a drill or, you know, a 15 inch soybean, say, um, again, the idea of adding diversity and crop rotation within your cash crop. If, if the principle is diversity and crop rotation, anything we can do to interseed or co-mingle companion planting, whatever you want to call it, um, it offers some serious benefit. Um, Frost said red clover and a wheat. That's kind of standard. Lots of lots of literature on how to do that well. Um, spring plant oats. So even this idea in the organic world, they're often, if they can't get the cover crop seeded in the fall, they'll do it in the spring. And maybe you take that oat crop for seed, or maybe you're just using it as a nurse crop for your red clover that in the in their fallow year. Um, clover at last cultivation. And again, you know, there's lots of cultivation passes that happen in corn. That's every one of those passes is a potential opportunity to see a cup crop, in my opinion. Uh, just depends what your goal is. And then Sudan grass, sorghum Sudan grass for control of Canadian thistle, it works. Uh, done right, you know, you can eradicate a, a strong thistle stand really pretty effectively in one year. Um, and that's, that's a lot of guys are doing this. And then, of course, crimping cereal rye ahead of soybeans. Um, and I'll, I'll give a specific example of what we tried this um, this past year. And then complex rotations. So, of course, I'm a kind of a never-till advocate, yet working on organic row crop, I there's some realities. Uh, there's a time and place for tillage. Um, Steve might hurt me for saying that, but uh, in organic, it's, it's kind of what we're dealing with. So... Here's some of the innovation happening. I'm just going to walk through this example pretty quickly. Um, so let's say in year one, you're coming out of wheat. It's planted. It's growing. You frost seed your clovers. So in this case, we'll probably do a ma mammoth red clover and a white Dutch clover. And um, we're going to get those frost seeded in February, March. We're going to harvest our wheat. And we'll probably sickle bar mow or flail chop that mammoth um, and white dutch to, you know, build our soil. Um, if you had cattle or if you were wanted to take it for hay, you could maybe do that. But again, you're, you're probably going to lose some of your benefit there. But economics play into this as well, right? And then, you know, we're looking at going into corn in year two. So we're going to put our fall strips down. And right before that, we'll, we'll, we will have drilled a cover crop that's winter killed, you know, oats and peas, say. Um, and then in the strips, as we're putting those strips in, we'll put maybe another blend of um, winter kill things to add diversity, right? And then as we move into year two, we flail those covers again. 
Um, so that mammoth by that next year is just going to be mammoth. Um, you probably won't even able to see your strip trail rows, but you, you flail that. And with RTK, we can do this. Um, those strips are opened up again. And then right before planting, you're either putting in refresher strips or flailing again, you plant your corn. So you haven't actually terminated that mammoth or white Dutch clover. You've just set it back seriously, plant your corn. And then that canopy closes or because of cultivation, you're able to set that clover back. Let's say this, it gets a little out of of control. Um, Again, adaptive management is key here. And then in the fall, you're seeding cereal rye with high clearance, or if harvest is early enough, you go. So year three, you're moving into soybeans. You plant your soybeans at the boot stage, and you're rolling that cereal rye, you know, two or three weeks later. It's formed viable seed by that time, which in some cases you wouldn't want, but in this case you do because going into year four, it's a fallow year. It's a soil building year. And I think this is the fundamental basis of organic is that you're taking a year or you're cropping with such a long crop rotation, you know, six, eight year, 10, 11 different crops that this is what makes the biology work fundamentally. Um, so you, your, your summer cover crops become, am I trying to fight Canadian thistle? Okay. I do sorghum. If I'm not, maybe I do a buckwheat that I bring to as a cash crop and then you're planting wheat again and the cycle starts over. So every four years you're getting a corn crop, a different way of thinking than conventional corn beans. That's for sure. All right. Some warnings just real quick, you know, mammoth red clover. Again, I, I just talked about using it, but its use has to be carefully done because they call it mammoth for a reason. Uh, sweet clover, you know, and hairy vetch has a lot of hard seed. So if you have small grains, probably not advisable to use um, unless maybe you store it for a couple of years and it reduces that. But I, generally, I steer guys away from that. Cereal um, rye can dry soil in the spring. So just like in conventional, um, you know, you might have to cancel that idea of roller crimping um, and, and switch to conventional cultivation uh, with organic. Buckwheat, you don't want it to go to seed in an organic system. It becomes, because it grows so rapidly in warm weather, it can it can do some damage in the spring if we have a warm spring. Okay, the other thing would be uh, roller crimping. And then this is where Aaron Sylvan out of University of Wisconsin organic specialist up there just doing a lot of great work you know and so with conventional guys what i did this year is hey you got cereal rye out there you want to preserve your planting date but you planted vns or we didn't quite plan ahead enough and we want that soil to dry out as much as possible so we're gonna let that cereal rye go but we know if we plant our soybeans timely that maximizes yield potential so go ahead and plant them and we'll roll a crimp when the soybeans are at the trifoliate stage. So we did that and, you know, stand difference a little bit, but the yield monitor, they were about the same. So it was a good growing year, wet for our area. So in a dry year, I think the soybeans that were roller crimped as opposed to on the right there um, where the sure I was killed at the traditional eight to nine inches with the herbicide, um, I think they would have been ahead, but we'll have more trials out going this year. And more importantly is, is um, if you are in Illinois 
Adam Davis is a ARS researcher who you'd want to reach out and connect with. Um, he's working on a model that the fundamental question is when, how are we going to know Dan in, in the spring, whether we can plant our soybeans and crimp our cereal later? Like that's pretty risky. Um, and so we've been tracking that over a number of fields across the region. And typically anywhere from April 20th to May 23rd is when your CRI hits boot stage. Well, then the question is when, when is that CRI going to reach full flowering? If we can have a model that will at least give us some rough dates, then we can make decisions based around that, right? Like, Hey, this is the year to crimp or it's not. Um, so it could be a powerful management tool for organic row croppers and even conventional guys looking to suppress weeds. Which again, that's what organic is all about in a lot of ways. Um, this is a key resource if you're interested. It's from Michigan State University. Um, there's actually a second follow-up book. And again, the beauty of this is that it's driven by producers who are actually practicing um, diverse crop rotations and cover crops in, in their organic row crop and specialty crops. It has a little mixture of both, which is always good. Here's some uh, organic row crop resources. If you're interested in terms of thinking transition or if you want to know NLP standards or record-keeping system, certification agency, or even just doing some reading, um, that I think guys that want to transition to organic just because of the price are going to fail. Um, it's just like guys that transition to no-till and cover crop that are doing it for limited reasons or not they need they need to consider the wider picture to to really implement this this system to be successful. So that's kind of my quick overview of organic row crop and cover crops. Hopefully that was helpful.